I've chosen to share this with you, reader, because at a time of incredible loneliness and self-loathing, I connected with it. The journal was created so I could figure out the meaning and the importance of our thoughts, emotions and mental troubles. I find this man's writing exemplifying the very same. The words, the thoughts and the insane amount of emotion that goes into writing resonated within me where all you can do is write words. No one there to listen to you, no one there to empathize, help or reach out to you. All you can do is write and hope that an ounce of the feeling and mental ability is conveyed to keep yourself steady in times of staggering upheaval. Or the coldest of solitude. Don't ever take for granted what you have, because even if you have nothing, it's more than what was taken away from someone else. I, and William Blake invite you to read the following. It may open your eyes to what you once were blind to. Don't ever assume you know the worst, or can't take any more. We're blessed beyond our wildest imaginations, it's our responsibility to reciprocate it. With love. Samin. The following essay is by William Blake, who has been held in solitary confinement for nearly 26 years. Currently he is in administrative segregation at Elmira Correctional Facility, a maximum security facility located in south-central New York State. In 1987, Blake, then 23 and in county court on a drug charge, murdered one deputy and wounded another in a failed escape attempt. He was sentenced to 77 years to life. This powerful essay earned Blake an honorable mention in the Yale Law Journal's Prison Law Writing Contest, chosen from more than 1,500 entries. He describes here in painstaking detail his excruciating experiences over the last quarter century. I've read of the studies done regarding the effects of long-term isolation in solitary confinement on inmates, seen how researchers say it can ruin a man's mind, and I've watched with my own eyes the slow descent of sane men into madness, sometimes not so slow, Blake writes. What I've never seen the experts write about, though, is what year after year of abject isolation can do to that immaterial part in our middle where hopes survive or die and the spirit resides. That is what Blake himself seeks to convey in his essay. Lisa Dawson. Part 1. You deserve an eternity in hell, Onondaga County Supreme Court Judge Kevin Mulroy told me from his bench as I stood before him for sentencing on July 10, 1987. Apparently he had the idea that God was not the only one qualified to make such judgment calls. Judge Mulroy wanted to pump six bucks worth of electricity into, my, body, he also said, though I suggest that it wouldn't have taken six cents worth to get me good and dead. He must have wanted to reduce me and the chair to a pile of ashes. My friend Governor Mario Cuomo wouldn't allow him to do that, though, the judge went on, bemoaning New York State's lack of a death statute due to the then-governor's repeated vetoes of death penalty bills that had been approved by the state legislature. Governor Cuomo's publicly expressed dudgeon over being called a friend of mine by Judge Mulroy was understandable, given the crimes that I had just been convicted of committing. I didn't care much for him either, truth be told. He built too many new prisons in my opinion, and cut academic and vocational programs in the prisons already standing. I know that Judge Mulroy was not nearly alone in wanting to see me executed for the crime I committed when I shot two Onondaga County Sheriff's deputies inside the town of DeWitt courtroom during a failed escape attempt, killing one and critically wounding the other. There were many people in the Syracuse area who shared his sentiments, to be sure. I read the hateful letters to the editor printed in the local newspapers, I could even feel the anger of the people when I'd go to court, so palpable was it. Even by the standards of my own belief system, such as it was back then, I deserved to die for what I had done. I took the life of a man without just cause, committing an act so monumentally wrong that I could not have argued that it was unfair had I been required to pay with my own life. What nobody knew or suspected back then, not even I, on that very day I would begin suffering a punishment that I am convinced beyond all doubt is far worse than any death sentence could possibly have been. On July 10, 2012, 
I finished my 25th consecutive year in solitary confinement, where at the time of this writing I remain. Though it is true that I've never died and so don't know exactly what the experience would entail, for the life of me I cannot fathom how dying any death could be harder or more terrible than living through all that I have been forced to endure for the last quarter century. Prisoners call it the box. Prison authorities have euphemistically dubbed it the Special Housing Unit, or SHU, pronounced SHU, for short. In society it is known as solitary confinement. It is 23-hour-a-day lockdown in a cell smaller than some closets I've seen, with one hour allotted to recreation consisting of placement in a concrete enclosed yard by oneself or, in some prisons, a cage made of steel bars. There is nothing in a SHU yard but air, no TV, no balls to bounce, no games to play, no other inmates, nothing. There is very little allowed in a SHU cell, also. Three sets of plain white underwear, one pair of green pants, one green short-sleeved button-up shirt, one green sweatshirt, ten books or magazines total, twenty pictures of the people you love, writing supplies, a bar of soap, toothbrush and toothpaste, one deodorant stick but no shampoo, and that's about it. No clothes of your own, only prison-made. No food from commissary or packages, only three unappetizing meals a day handed to you through a narrow slot in your cell door. No phone calls, no TV, no luxury items at all. You get a set of cheap headphones to use, and you can pick between the two or three, depending on which prison you're in, jacks in the cell wall to plug into. You can listen to a TV station in one jack, and use your imagination while trying to figure out what is going on when the music indicates drama but the dialogue doesn't suffice to tell you anything. Or you can listen to some music, but you're out of luck if you're a rock and roll fan and find only rap is playing. Your options in what to do to occupy your time in SHU are scant, but there will be boredom aplenty. You probably think that you understand boredom, know its feel, but really you don't. What you call boredom would seem a whirlwind of activity to me, choices so many that I'd likely be befuddled in trying to pick one over all the others. You could turn on a TV and watch a movie or some other show, I haven't seen a TV since the 1980s. You could go for a walk in the neighborhood, I can't walk more than a few feet in any direction before I run into a concrete wall or steel bars. You could pick up your phone and call a friend, I don't know if I'd be able to remember how to make a collect call or even if the process is still the same, so many years it's been since I've used a telephone. Play with your dog or cat and experience their love, or watch your fish in their aquarium. The only creatures I see daily are the mice and cockroaches that infest the unit, and they're not very lovable and nothing much to look at. There is a pretty good list of options available to you, if you think about it, many things that you could do even when you believe you are so bored. You take them for granted because they are there all the time, but if it were all taken away you'd find yourself missing even the things that right now seem so small and insignificant. Even the smallest stuff can become as large as life when you have had nearly nothing for far too long. I haven't been outside in one of the SHU yards in this prison for about four years now. I haven't seen a tree or blade of grass in all that time, and wouldn't see these things were I to go to the yard. In Elmira Correctional Facility, where I am presently imprisoned, the SHU yards are about three or four times as big as my cell. There are 12 SHU yards total, each surrounded by concrete walls, one or two of the walls lined with windows. If you look in the windows you'll see the same SHU company that you live on, and maybe you'll get a look at a guy who was locked next to you for months that you've talked to every day but had never before gotten a look at. If you look up you'll find bars and a screen covering the yard, and if you're lucky maybe you can see a bit of blue sky through the mesh, otherwise it'll be hard to believe that you're even outside. If it's a good day you can walk around the SHU yard in small circles staring ahead with your mind on nothingness, like the nothing you've got in that lacuna with you. If it's a bad day, though, 
maybe your mind will be filled with remembrances of all you used to have that you haven't seen now for many years, and you'll be missing it, feeling the loss, feeling it bad. Life in the box is about an austere sameness that makes it difficult to tell one day from a thousand others. Nothing much and nothing new ever happened to tell you if it's a Monday or a Friday, March or September, 1987 or 2012. The world turns, technology advances, and things in the streets change and keep changing all the time. Not so in a solitary confinement unit, however. I've never seen a cell phone except in pictures in magazines. I've never touched a computer in my life, never been on the internet and wouldn't know how to get there if you sat me in front of a computer, turned it on for me, and gave me directions. SHU is a timeless place, and I can honestly say that there is not a single thing I'd see looking around right now that is different from what I saw in Shawangan Correctional Facilities Box when I first arrived there from Syracuse's county jail in 1987. Indeed, there is probably nothing different in SHU now than in SHU a hundred years ago, save the headphones. Then and now there were a few books, a few prison-made clothing articles, walls and bars and human beings locked in cages. And misery. There is always the misery. If you manage to escape it yourself for a time, there will ever be plenty around and others for you to sense, and though you'll be unable to look into their eyes and see it, you might hear it in the nighttime when tough guys cry not so tough tears that are forced out of them by the unrelenting stress and strain that life in SHU is an exercise in. I've read of the studies done regarding the effects of long-term isolation and solitary confinement on inmates, seen how researchers say it can ruin a man's mind, and I've watched with my own eyes the slow descent of sane men into madness, sometimes not so slow. What I've never seen the experts write about, though, is what year after year of abject isolation can do to that immaterial part in our middle where hopes survive or die and the spirit resides. So please allow me to speak to you of what I've seen and felt during some of the harder times of my 25-year SHU odyssey. I've experienced times so difficult and felt boredom and loneliness to such a degree that it seemed to be a physical thing inside so thick it felt like it was choking me, trying to squeeze the sanity from my mind, the spirit from my soul, and the life from my body. I've seen and felt hope becoming like a foggy ephemeral thing, hard to get a hold of, even harder to keep a hold of as the years and then decades disappeared while I stayed trapped in the emptiness of the SHU world. I've seen minds slipping down the slope of sanity, descending into insanity, and I've been terrified that I would end up like the guys around me that have cracked and become nuts. It's a sad thing to watch a human being go insane before your eyes because he can't handle the pressure that the box exerts on the mind, but it is sadder still to see the spirit shaken from a soul and it is more disastrous. Sometimes the prison guards find them hanging in blue, sometimes their necks get broken when they jump from their bed, the sheet tied around the neck that's also wrapped around the grate covering the light and the ceiling snapping taut with a pop. I've seen the spirit leaving men in SHU and have witnessed the results. Part 2, A Sentence Worse Than Death, JE 7.1, Part 2.